a stamp of approval that says, yes, your business is ethical. We're the fastest growing region outside of the US. Welcome to the second renaissance where we decode the rebirth of human creativity in a technology-driven world. In this second season, we explore how sustainability is elevating our human consciousness and catalyzing us to create within constraints. We decipher why now is the biggest entrepreneurial opportunity since the dawn of industrialization and what leaders can do to harness the winds of change. I'm Anders Sulman-Nilsson, global futurist, impact champion and father and your host for The Second Renaissance. Today on The Second Renaissance, I speak with Whitney Tillock. Whitney is a B Corp consultant and the head of learning and development at the co-working space Hub Australia. Whitney is passionate about transforming communities and facilitating sustainable business. She's a firm believer in the power of using business as a force for good. And we discuss why the B Corp movement is gathering exponential momentum and why this transformation journey can be so powerful for cultures, business and society. And where you can get started on your own journey of enhancing the three P's of people, planet and profit. Welcome to the Second Renaissance, Whitney. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Now, we're going to talk all things B Corp and impact and the role of entrepreneurship in making the world a better place. I'm uh, curious, given your background, what attracted you about the B Corp movement? And uh, maybe also give us a little bit of a definition of what B Corps are and what B Labs do as part of that little introduction and your big why. Yeah, so um, I guess first off, B B Lab is the the not-for-profit that administers the B Corp certification. So it's a global network of not-for-profits. We've got, you know, our um, Australian New Zealand branch based here in Melbourne. Um, So they administer the certification. So a B Corp is a business that has been certified to meet um, those highest verified standards in, you know, the areas of social, environmental and economic impact. Um, And I first came across the movement in 2015 when I moved to Melbourne. Um, This was around the time that I also discovered co-working and I became a member at Hub Australia. So I was a member here before I worked for the business. Um, And it was also around the time when I was starting my own business. So I was thinking a lot about, you know, setting up my own thing, how that was going to look. And then I found out about this whole B Corp thing. And it just really made sense to me. I just thought, that's awesome. Like to have a, a stamp of approval that says, yes, your business is ethical, your business is responsible, you are, you know, you're purpose-driven as well as profit-driven. Um, I just thought that was a really, really cool idea. And it kind of just worked out really well. Like I moved to Melbourne, I didn't know anyone, I discovered co-working, had built, that helped build my community here in Melbourne. And I also started going to a lot of B Corp events and I just met the most amazing business people that kind of were not necessarily looking to run businesses that were similar to mine or in the co-working industry, but they all had that same goal of using their business as a force for good. And that just made total sense to me. And I thought, well, if you're starting a business, you know, in these times, it you're kind of silly if you're not thinking about that, I think. Yeah. And so were there any, any particular people that you met that were particular sort of 
inspirational guidelines for you as you kind of went like, oh yeah, I'm starting my own business. I mean, oftentimes there is a sort of that profit motive. And I, th I think, you know, in business, sometimes we even, you know, sometimes occasionally, historically, I mean, we might've even felt guilty about having a profit motive. But for, from what I'm hearing here is that you made the realization that, you know, profit and, and, and purpose actually can go hand in hand and maybe they must go hand in hand into the future. Were there, were there any people that you met who kind of just, you know, created that sort of eureka moment for you? Well, definitely um, when I yeah discovered Hub and got to meet the founder of Hub, Brad Krauskopf, who's our founder now, oh, sorry, our CEO still now, um, I was super impressed with Hub and the community that he'd managed to build at the um, locations that Hub had at that time. And yeah, I mean, that's why I decided to actually come work for the company because I just thought it was the best thing ever. And yeah, I have been super impressed with how Hub has grown so rapidly but also been able to maintain you know those um those core values and maintain our b corp status um as we have grown because it, it gets you know it gets more and more challenging as you get bigger um so that was definitely one and then oh i mean the the, the b corp poster child for me is patagonia um you know learning about businesses like that and just being so impressed with the way in which they choose to to operate um and then more locally businesses like dumbo feather um and small giants um are you know quite prominent in the b corp movement particularly here in melbourne so yeah cool i mean um there's you know obviously you know businesses that have sort of used the idea of, of provenance marketing for a long time. And this could be, you know, stamped USDA organic or, you know, Demeter or, you know, uh, certified Angus beef. We kind of associate it with, with, with food in terms of how the supply chain looks like. And, and, and in some ways now, you know, the supply chain is becoming that story that's winning the hearts and minds of today's and tomorrow's conscious consumer. Uh, now we're increasingly seeing this B Corp stamp on, on, on businesses as well. And many might have thought, hey, the, the pandemic and the disruption and the, the sort of, you know, flight back to sort of just pure survival modalities for human beings around the world might have sort of quashed this idea of, you know, ethics and sustainability, etc. But I gather you guys have seen the, the opposite, that people are actually making... Uh, even more conscious decisions and the, and the B Corp movement is sort of going exponential at the moment. Is, is, is that fair to say? Yeah, it's definitely um, from what B Lab is, you know, communicating to the community. We've they've seen a huge spike in people in businesses undertaking what's called the B Impact Assessment, which is the online tool that you complete to become a B Corp. And I think the the B Corp movement in the Australian New, Re New Zealand region has definitely we're, we're the fastest growing region outside of the US, um, and it's. I think a lot of people kind of had it as a on their to-do list, like we, we want to become a B Corp, we want to start that process. And the pandemic actually gave them the opportunity and the downtime to start the assessment because um, it can be a little bit intimidating to start or, you know, people will have it in the back of their mind, they'll put it off for a couple of years. So having this, this you know, bizarre space that we didn't, you know, a lot of people things slowed down and didn't know, really know what to do with it. Um, there's actually a really useful time. So yeah, the BIA has, the B Impact Assessment, sorry, um, has 
there's been a lot of people that are um, undertaking it at the moment. And yeah, I think people now, are, are, they just have really high standards of the companies they want to work for, the businesses they want to interact with and do business with. And B Corp is a really great way to know that you are, you know, engaging with a business that cares and that has been, you know, has been verified in those those five impact areas. And it looks at it looks at all it looks at the whole business you know there's of course those you know certifications that you mentioned earlier are really great but they're very specific so you could be you know totally killing it in that one specific area of being you know fair trade certified but that doesn't look at the the governance of the business or it doesn't look at the environmental impact of the business so um, B Corp kind of covers a lot of ground uh, it's very rigorous so yeah I think that's why it's been such a such a popular um, thing that a lot of people have taken up. Yeah, and what what about the origins of of, of B Labs? You mentioned Patagonia a minute ago, but you know where where was this idea born? Where what's the sort of embryonic eureka moment that somebody or maybe a collection of people had to to you know to start this? concept that then became the movement of of B Corps? So it was three guys in the US in 26, uh, sorry, 2006, I'm going to say 2016, in 2006 who um, left their careers behind in business and um, decided to create an organisation that was dedicated to making it easier for mission-driven companies to protect and improve their positive impact over time. So um, I believe one of those those three guys, they what happened was they had a, a really great business where that was manufacturing. Um, it was a clothing label, and. Uh, he sold it and all of this great work that he'd put into it being, you know, environmentally and socially responsible kind of wasn't, it wasn't locked in anyway. It wasn't, um, when it, when the business changed hands, the new owners could kind of do whatever they wanted. So they wanted to create something that meant that that, that mission or that vision was protected over time. So that's how it started. The first 82 B Corps were certified in 2007. Um, that was in the US, and then the first 40 B Corps um, in the Australia and New Zealand region were certified in 2012, and Hub was one of those first 40. Yeah, cool. I mean, we, we hear about the idea of, you know, greenwashing and, you know, ethics washing and all this kind of stuff, and, you know, there's certainly, you know, investment vehicles and, 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 and hedge funds, some of which just sort of, you know, make a couple of tweaks, and then all of a sudden they're, you know, an SRI fund or whatever. You know, is the is the is the assessment a way to kind of prevent that you know marketing spin um, from maybe you know pulling the wool over people's eyes and and actually kind of going hey you know this is a, a third party that's independent that's verified that everything that you know a company or 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 an investment vehicle or, or whatever it happens to be is actually what it claims to be. Yeah, I can totally get how how people are that you know kind of tired of that that idea of greenwashing and and maybe even skeptical of certifications like this. Um, and I mean, there's there's pe- people are going to think that, and that's that's fine. Um, but as someone that has completed the assessment um, several, because you have to recertify every three years, um, and you can very easily lose your certification if you don't if you don't meet you know 
the, the criteria. Um, and as someone who has taken um, two different businesses through the certification um, several times and then now works, you know, consults with other businesses to take them through it as well, um, you, can't, you can't get away with being you know, a little bit dodgy in some areas and being a B Corp. It is very, very rigorous. Um, the, the process, the initial certification process and then the recertification process is very in-depth. Um, you're assigned a um, analyst from, you know, uh, from B Lab and they, are, they will poke holes in, you know, <laughs> every aspect of your business to make sure that what you're what you're saying in the assessment matches up with what you actually do and of course there's you know supporting documentation and um, interviewing processes that um, that take place and then they do audit I think it's 10% of all B Corps um, get audited it's every either every I think it's every year I'm not 100% sure but I know that there is a an auditing process to ensure that that um, that those you know those high standards are maintained and the credibility of the certification remains in place because you know like like you said it is it's important and some people are skeptical which is totally valid uh, so it's important that it is maintained in a really you know high way yeah I mean there's a sort of an ethos here of almost you know open kimono or um I mean, I remember, I mean, I grew up in a, in a family business, small, quaint little family business in, in Stockholm, Sweden. And, you know, one point in time um, when there was a sort of a strategic rejuvenation of mum's then 99-year-old business, she's the third uh, generation owner operator. And, you know, we started engaging a few consultants that, you know, the family business network to try and kind of really, you know, get under the hood of the business. And, and her reaction was very, very sort of resisting. You know, she's like, she actually described the whole experience at, at a later stage where she actually started willingly kind of engaging and sharing, but it was so culturally ingrained that you never talk to your, talk to anybody about your business. You don't share numbers. You don't, you know, share, you know, what kind of arrangements you have with, with the unions or whatever it happens to be. And my mum described it, I remember, um, in a very kind of old school fashion, and apologies for, for, the, for the vivid imagery now, but she's like, I actually feel like I'm sitting in the gynecologist's chair and somebody is examining my business <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a very, you know, very awkward, very, very too intimate fashion. And so you can understand that, you know, somebody might have a resistance towards sharing all of that. Are you seeing just like, is, is it across the generations now that people are happy to be transparent about, you know, their carbon emissions, you know, what, what their employee arrangements are, you know, who they bank with, um, you know, their, their governance structures, all of which my mum would have described as, you know, uh, sitting in the gynecologist chair um, or the male equivalent, um, you know, are you seeing that people kind of happy to be transparent in, in, in that way? Such an interesting way to describe it. I'm so sorry that your mum felt that way. My gosh. Um, I hope it turned out okay in the end. Um, yeah, I think, I think businesses that approach um, or, or even at the least are interested in becoming a B Corp um, 
they won't get very far down the track without realising they need to be able to be open and transparent with a lot of that stuff that is, you know, probably for older generations maybe not traditionally spoken about. I mean, keeping in mind um, the assessment that you that you complete, um, you, you need to be extremely transparent in, in the assessment and, you know, there's a disclosure questionnaire as well where you need to disclose any controversial um industries that you're operating in or anything that could be, um, you know, counter to the idea of being a B Corp. Um, but that doesn't all become like public information. It stays, it's, it stays confidential um, within B Lab and, and within your, with your, you know, standards analyst. Um, you have to make your, your B Corp score um, publicly available and you make Within that score, it's broken down into five impact areas. So governance, customers, community, workers and environment. So you make your score within each of those sections available. Um, But it's not like people can see your whole assessment. Okay, so they see the score that, you know, that that you end up with. But um, yeah, so it's not it's not. I don't. Th- it's not quite as scary as what people think, but you do need to be. You know, I guess you do need to be open. And um, in terms of pushback from that, um, with the businesses that I've worked with to to get them certified, I haven't really ever experienced too much of that, especially when I explain. You know what I just explained. So, yeah, maybe maybe it is a generational thing. I'm I'm not sure. Um, but I think that the businesses that this movement attracts are, are, are businesses that kind of are, are more willing to be open about that because they're doing great work. There's nothing to be, you know, to hide or to be ashamed of. The other thing here too is that you guys very much, you know, position this rightfully that it's a journey and no, nobody is perfect and it is a, you know, a development process and you might score 40 or 50, you know, the first year and you might have to, you know, change your banking provider or, you know, um, who you work with from a superannuation perspective, or you might have to, you know, tweak your constitution in, in your organization to insert certain elements. So it, it is this sort of transformational journey where you, well, it's not necessarily, you're not saying how hey, you have to rush through this and get it all done in a month. Um, exactly. Yeah. Some people take, like for, for large enterprises, it can take them several years to, to, you know, they might complete their first pass of the B impact assessment. You have to score a minimum of 80 points to be eligible for certification. They might, most businesses come out with a score around that 50 mark. That's very normal. So they'll go, okay, well, we need to make some changes. They go off, make those changes. B Lab helps with that. You, you can, you know, an impact improvement report is generated from the assessment tool that kind of says, here's, here's where you might be lacking. Here's some things that you could implement short term and then long term. Then they'll come back, do their second pass. If their score's at 80, they can, you know, 80 or above, they can submit. Um, And then, of course, you have to recertify every three years. So with Hub Australia, the recent recertification that we did, our business had changed so much in that three years. So there was lots of new stuff that we had implemented that contributed to our score. Um, But there was also lots of other things that, you know, that we still need to keep working on. So that's why there is that recertification model, because it's not like you get the stamp for approval and you've arrived, you're a great business, and that's the end. Like, there's an incentive to continue to improve um, in each of those areas for sure yeah you you mentioned before that you know there's certain you know certain customers you know you might be working with who would probably maybe drag down your score i, I remember hearing an interview with elon musk 
and you know we always associate Tesla as this super innovative uh, company doing great things for for the environment and you know helping shift you know the world not just automotively but our whole thinking towards re renewable and, and solar etc. And he got very criticized for being on the advisory committee for Donald Trump and, uh, you know, advising on, on the future and energy, et cetera. And people were kind of going, okay, now you're in Donald Trump's tent. Um, you know, what does this say about you? And, and he sort of said, you know, people can think what they want about the fact that I was advising Donald Trump, but at least the words have been spoken. In other words, he said he needed to be in the tent to actually make certain recommendations for the, for the future of the United States when they were thinking about energy and thinking about transport grids, etc. What, what's your view on that? I mean, um, if, if an organization works with, you know, the coal industry or, uh, you know, if they're working with tobacco like, but they're trying to influence those companies. I mean, even, you know, some of the largest banks in Australia say, hey, we need to keep funding some of these miners so that they can transition away from, you know, bringing dead dinosaurs out of the ground into renewables, but we need to fund that transition. Have you got any thoughts on what makes sense? Is it the kind of ethos of at least the words have been spoken or, or should you just sort of cut those customers from your, from your life? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, oh, and I'm I'm not expecting the yeah, perfect answer here, right? But um, yeah, I'm just yeah. curious in your thoughts. I mean, the Elon Musk and Trump example is interesting because, I mean, if I think about it, I'm like, well, Elon Musk is probably a good person to be in Trump's ear. Like, you know, who else was it going to be? You know, what was the alternative? Is probably not someone as progressive or knowledgeable in these areas as Elon Musk. I don't know. Um, so with that example, I'm like, I think that's, I think that's good. You know, um, and in terms of you know businesses working with um, other other businesses that maybe are lagging behind or actually doing, you know, more damage than good. Um, those, those, those industries need to, need to be brought along. Like they need to be, they need to change because they, they, we, it's very clear that if they don't, it's, it's not going to be great. So I think they need to be brought along the journey. Um, that is very difficult, of course, because there's a lot of, uh, competing interests and, um, you know, don't want to be too cynical, but, you know, it is difficult when there is um, so much power and money involved. Um, but yeah, I think th those businesses need to be, they need to be kicked up the butt as well. So, um, and if, if movements like this can kind of um, in increase the pressure on them, then I think that's great. I mean, you know, from a banking and financing perspective, what we are seeing around the world too is that, you know, there are now increasingly agreements between financiers and, and, and the people trying to finance and, and, and get funding for particular initiatives where they actually have ESG targets and, you know, um, the rates on, on loans will go up unless, you know, both parties kind of meet certain targets, et cetera. So certainly, you know, even financiers like the banks can actually put a bit of pressure on um, some of these, you know, laggard industries to actually get their 
game into gear as as well. So you do see that pressures are you know are kind of arriving in a multitude of ways. Um, now I'm curious, um, what do you think makes you know business the vehicle for really driving environmental, social, governance, sustainability? Like, isn't this just something that you know government and uh, you know philanthropists and, and and charity should be driving? Why why business? Well, I would say because the you know business employs the most people, and it you know the public and private sector generates the most revenue. So that's where the majority of the the people power and the economic power actually lies. And in in Australia. Um, Unfortunately, we've generally had governments that have lagged behind the business sector in terms of best practice or, you know, progressive, um, progressive movements in social, economic and um, environmental space. So it has to be it has to be business because otherwise, you know, if we're hung around waiting for um, government to lead the way in in those areas, then it would be would be even further behind than than what we are in some of these areas. So. Um, that's kind of where, in terms of government, that's that's sort of what I think. And then in terms of charity, of course, they do, you know, this the not-for-profit and charity sector do a lot of incredible work that's very important. But again, it's it's a smaller sector than, than the business sector. So it needs to be both. So what are, I mean, what are some heartening examples that you've seen in, in your role in in the ecosystem that is, you know, B Corp's, B Labs hub of either small businesses pivoting, you know, changing their business models and and as a result becoming maybe both more purpose-led but also more uh, profitable um, either on the sort of, you know, corporate big international stage or even in the entrepreneurial communities that you've worked with where you're really seeing, you know, business stepping up and, and making a real change. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I'm probably speak to, you know, our experience at Hub, like, you know, with with the things that we do in this area. So we're, you know, we're B Corp certified, we're carbon neutral certified. There's lots of different really um, great social and environmental impact initiatives that we run to either, you know, reduce the negative impact and increase positive impact. And we find that a lot of people want to want to do business with us because we care and we do that stuff. Of course, the core business, you know, that we offer of, of being a flexible workspace, that needs to be that needs to be five star. You know, that needs to be great because you can't just rely on the feel good factor. You need to be providing a great product or service. So we need to make sure that that is um, maintained. Uh, but people like they they want to do business with other businesses that they're aligned with. Um, so I think the um, consumer driven, um, you know, behaviors are what is what what people pay attention to because that's you know that's why we're all here we all need customers um, and if we can have customers that are aligned with us because of the great work that we're doing then that's like a total total bonus and everyone everyone feels great and we get to make a difference and we get to make sure that we're delivering on on the that those promises yeah I was speaking at the uh, Dyson uh, global conference just the other night and um, one of the key points that I made and it was the, the audience was largely suppliers to Dyson of course Dyson is one of the most you know innovative companies in in the world and really also 
you know, really moving the needle in terms of what they're expecting from a sustainability uh, perspective from their suppliers. And the whole ecosystem kind of needs to shift to ensure that uh, every part of the supply chain is now sustainable and, and high performing on ESG factors. Well, my key point was that now the supply chain is the story. In other words, you know, people have known about marketing, they've known about farm to table, farm to fork, producer to consumer, but now really the conscious consumer who is on the rise now demands to know through the supply chain, everything needs to be digitally traceable. And so it strikes me that being part of a B Corp in ecosystem of suppliers might be almost like a, you know, ethical shortcut of ensuring that, you know, everything actually is squeaky clean so that you can tell that story of accountability. And I think brand accountability today is really as important to sales as marketing once was. Have you got any thoughts or reflections on, on that? Yeah, I think I think that's an awesome point to make. And it's a good way to think about it as like a, yeah, a shortcut. Um, I like that because like I said, it's um, obviously not everyone goes through that process of becoming a B Corp, but as, as the person who has done that, it's, it, you can be rest assured that um, those businesses have done the work to get that certification. So it is, it really is a shortcut. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I don't, I don't really have much else to add. I think it's a really great point, and um, and it makes sense. And we we now know that um, that customers, you know, are going to trust a business that has a social or environmental uh, mission at its core. They're going to trust them more. They're going to want to work for them more. Um, they're going to want to, you know, be on their on their team, and that is that's beneficial for that business. Um, and if they're doing great work, then that's beneficial for the area of work that they're, that they're contributing to. So I'm just thinking if, if, if an organization sitting around and they've, you know, they've scored, you know, 60 points or 75 points and they, you know, do they just underneath the sort of, you know, certification standards, what is, you know, and I know this is going to be individual to every organization, every industry, et cetera, but, you know, what, what are some ways in which people can kind of grab some low hanging fruit? and you know get a few points to help them along on their journey what are, what are some easy wins in in this space um things like measuring your um, carbon footprint so um, that can sound more complicated than what it is uh, but the b lab provides a really great um it's literally just a spreadsheet to to measure this stuff so that's a, that's one that people can any business can do um, can start doing straight away uh, and then there's other things. I mean, I work in HR as well, so um, there's a lot of really great, you know, human resources policies that can be implemented that uh, will bump up your score quite well. So having, you know, having a really great parental leave policy, um, all all of the all of the kind of key policies that you would have in place, you know, equal opportunity, bullying and harassment, all that kind of stuff. Of course, you would need that. Um, but doing things like offering professional development leave or a professional development fund to your staff can be really useful. Um, a wellness fund, ha you know, having a focus on wellness for your people um, is a really, really great one as well. Um, what else? What are the other kind of low-hanging fruits? Oh, having ch ch a change your bank. 
<laughs> yeah, change your bank. Um, there's there's some really great banks now that are B Corp certified in Australia. We have we have a couple of them now, which is awesome. So I'm thinking um, Bank Australia and Beyond Bank being two yeah, of those. Bank Australia, Beyond Bank. Uh, I swear there's another one, but I'm forgetting it. I can't remember. But yeah, there's options. There's options. You know. Um, Another another good one is having a procurement policy, so ensuring that you are procuring your goods and services from um, either, you know, just having a policy in place where you uh, preference, you know, B Corps or women-led businesses, Indigenous-led businesses, um, local businesses, that kind of thing. So having those having those policies in place to ensure that you're being that you're holding yourself accountable um, for for those kinds of things, particularly procurement, because all businesses need to to buy goods and services to run their business. So if you are buying those goods and services from other great businesses, uh, then that's something that that you are rewarded for in the B Impact. As soon as you find out about this, you should be onto it. Um, but also, um, I think, as I said before, people have really high standards. You know, uh, particularly employees, um, Gen Gen Z and millennials. You know, at Hub, the majority of our business are millennials, and um, there's been you know. A dime a dozen studies around the, you know what millennials and Gen Z expect at a workplace now, and they're just not going to tolerate working for a shitty company that just exists to make money. Like they're just not going to. So, I think it's actually really important for you know attracting and retaining great talent, um, and then of course you know having those having those customers that are aligned with you. Um, like I said, they get, we know that customers are going to trust a business that has. Um, an environmental or social mission at its core, and that's that's going to be beneficial economically for that business. Um, and in terms of the the benefits, like it's just a really great way to be able to easily communicate your commitment to to this stuff, um, and then also a great way as well to hold yourself accountable um, internally and externally for um, the work that you're doing. Sure you come across this right because you've got to do lots of stakeholder you know management and, and communicating and influencing and i'm sure it's not always the case that everybody in a client organization that you work with is on board 100 percent. you've won hearts and minds from the beginning that'd be lovely if it happens every time right <laughs> that would be great <laughs> what are the sort of what what are the skepticisms what are the roadblocks like what are there sort of culturally ingrained views that you come up against that you kind of have to get people beyond for them to truly buy into this vision? i say the biggest one is uh, in terms of culturally ingrained views is, oh, if we're um, like purpose has to come at the cost of profit. Um, that's probably the, the, the oldest and most ingrained one, but it is, it is definitely changing. Um, so probably that one and then... Also, yeah, again, going back to the cynicism around greenwashing, like, oh, what, why, why would we do this? Can't we just be a good business? Why do we need like someone else to say that we're being good? Um, which is fair enough. It's a choice. It's a choice to do something like this. So, um, yeah, I'd say that it is is probably the main one, though the the um, the profit over purpose, you know, argument, which I just think is yeah, doesn't need to be an argument anymore. What do you say to those two skepticisms or those, you know, resistant views? Well, I mean, it's about getting back to the reasons why they would want to 
actually engage in something like this because nobody has to no one's forced to so um, if they've come to me or if they've they're curious about the movement then there's clearly a reason or something that has spiked their interest so going back to that Um, but again what I said before about people wanting to work for businesses that that are you know using business as a force for good and wanting to wanting to buy from businesses that use business as a force for good like you need great people to to run your business and you need customers so if you want to stand out and you want to differentiate differentiate yourself from um, competitors this is a really great way to be able to do that that's genuine um, and that matters Probably before regulation forces you to, because at some stage government will get their act together. And, Hopefully, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and start forcing some of these uh, changes as well. So Yeah, and then the these businesses, stuck. yeah, these businesses will be the ones that are like at the forefront of that and ready to go. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or I mean, you know, even got ahead of the curve, right? And I think that there's merit in saying that, hey, we, we change this before, you know, government forces to. You know, it's just the same like, you know, before FOFA or, you know, the future of financial advice and all those reports came out, you know, there were financial advisors who'd sort of gotten rid of commissions and had gone independent to act in the best interest of their clients before it became a law. And, you know, those certainly had a, you know, branding uh, advantage and the sort of this, you know, ethical, you know, independent core to their brand DNA already. And I mean, now we're, we're seeing that the academic studies are showing that when it comes to you know, cost of capital, you know, it goes down for companies that are performing well on ESG factors. We know that operational performance uh, is higher for organizations that are performing well on ESG factors. And we know that the share market performance over, you know, a period of time is also higher amongst those companies who are doing good on ESG uh, criteria compared to their competition. So I'm assume, like I'm kind of thinking when when you when you present numbers and figures, you know, do do you sort of do you sway some people and sort of say, hey, by by being purpose led, you can also become more profitable, like these organisations or the likes of Larry Fink at BlackRock will not fund you if you're not performing well on ESG factors. Do you- yeah, I mean that's super compelling, and I don't have a problem with people wanting to make more money. Like if you know, if it means that they are. Um, are taking this up because they because they do want their business to be used as a force for good, and as a result, they're going to be more profitable. Then great, that that's great for them, and that that works because they're going to be involved anyway. I think there is a feeling that I've got around this, which is almost this sort of scarcity mindset versus this abundance mindset. Like scarcity mindset says. You know, it's either profit or it's purpose. It's a trade-off, and you know the 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 pie is only so big. Whereas an abundance mindset might say, "Hey, we're going to drive both purpose and profit at the same time, and grow the pie." Um, have you got a view on that? Or some people call it, you know, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Do you come across that sort of? dichotomy and the people you talk to that some people just like they get it versus other people kind of ingrained and 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 maybe have that sort of scarcity mindset that it's you know yes you know treating our staff is going to cost us a lot more so we'll take away from the bottom line Mm. i mean to be honest i don't really come across the you know the first the first example um 
I, I guess by the time I'm talking to a business that wants to become B Corp, they've overcome that themselves. Um, and Hub is, you know, definitely not a business like that. And you know, the other other young people that I are, that I'm friends with that run businesses like, I don't know. I haven't met I haven't met many young people that think that way now. So to be honest, I haven't come across that. So lucky for me. <laughs> But if I do, it would be it would be a fun conversation for You've sure. You've got more abundant thinking friends that maybe <laughs> than some of the people we come across in in business. Although I do think that this is a moment of enlightenment and a sort of an elevation of human consciousness around business, and certainly with the rise of the the conscious consumer, which shows that fifty five percent of global consumers now think it's really important to be able to view digital traceability and transparency of the whole supply chain. I think there's a real sort of rallying moment around how do we capture this conscious consumer right now? And um, I think that's heartening in terms of where, where business is, is moving at, at the moment. Um, I mean, if you put your sort of astrologer cap on or maybe even your, your futurist uh, cap on for, for a moment, you know, if everything goes well, if, if you and, and Hub and, you know, B Labs and the B Corp movement does really well and you know you get this groundswell energy and businesses around the world are adopting you know the b corp certification become certified and start making a massive impact i mean what's your sort of utopia for for the year 2030 how how will business look different from from today Mm. well you know at the moment there's um 4,000 B Corps globally in in 70 different countries, 150 different industries, and there's there's almost 100,000 businesses currently undertaking or using the B Impact Assessment to manage their impact. You know, so that's a lot of businesses that, and they would I don't know the the numbers, but they would be employing you know a lot of people. So. I think it would be really cool in, you know, in 2030 if um, the B Corp movement, you know, became more and more well known and it became, um, you know, a big deciding factor in people deciding where they, who they want to go work for and who they want to buy from. Um, and if, yeah, the B Corp movement could, in, could influence um government like we were talking about before you know having them catch up and um, start to regulate some of this stuff as well so that it becomes more and more normal um yeah and i mean for hub by 2030 gosh i don't know how many locations we're going to have we have 11 at the moment and um we have 100 staff and 4,000 members so that's a that's a pretty decent sized community and yeah over the next couple of years we're going to be um, at least, well, maybe not a couple of years, but over, over the next little while, we're going to be we're going to be doubling in size, and um, that's very very exciting to me to have, you know, to have that many to have that many team members and um, members in our community. Our you know customers are our members. Um, that's very exciting for the, all of those people to be you know to be bought into something like this that really matters and to be working from a space that um, that they've chosen you know for a number of reasons but often it is because of the um, the impact work that we do I think that's really exciting and what are your you know personal drivers or how, how does this align with your own 
personal mission or your own, you know, personal motivations? Like what, what is it that drives you in, in being a sort of a, a steward for businesses that are going on this transformational journey? I think for me, kind of like I said before, when I first moved to Melbourne and discovered um, what this thing at B Corp was, uh, I just was super inspired and thought it made sense. And I thought, imagine if all businesses chose to operate um, in this highly ethical, highly responsible manner. That would be really cool. A lot of a lot of the the issues that we face might get solved, and a lot of the damage that is done by you know, by irresponsible businesses um, will get cleaned up. And so that's kind of the bigger picture. And then I guess at a, um, you know, a lev- at an individual level for people, I, you know, I really want people to love what they do every day and be going to work somewhere or be running a business that they love um, because we spend so much time, you know, at work or working on the, the projects that are important to us. And it may as well be something really impactful and meaningful and I guess the B Corp movement kind of lined up with my personal commitment because it was a a framework for um for that to be possible I guess so yeah that's sort of my my thing I just really want workplaces to be as inclusive and um and accessible for all people as possible um and for people to really love love what they do, coming into work, enjoying being with people, working on stuff that really matters to them that they can be proud of. Um, I just think that's that's what's really important. Had you ever come across businesses or, or worked in an environment that was the total opposite of what you think, you know, the B Corp movement is all about or any anything that you think, hey, that actually pushed me in the direction because I never want to work in a place like that again or even if it was, you know, friends or family and any personal experiences like that I've been pretty yeah I've been pretty lucky I've worked at hub for five years now and before that um, I was running my own business and um, working casually so yeah I haven't had the experience of working in a really like not great environment um, and I certainly don't intend to um, do that because I've got options um, and yeah so I don't I don't really have like a, a burn story where I was like never going back to that and I'm you know I just, I just, I just want people to, you know, I've always sort of wanted people to, you know, do what they love and do it really well and do it as much as possible. Where does that come from? You know, going back to childhood, thinking about, you know, everyone's got their own sort of unique gifts or doing what they love. Like, where does that come from? Because not everyone is a, you know, a believer in the fact that you can do, you know, purpose-driven work or that you can find this sort of what the Okinawans call ikigai, which is, you know, doing what you are passionate about what you love, what you're good at, you know, that you can make some money from, but also, you know, that makes a difference to the world. Where, where did that sort of belief come from? Or is this just something that you've, you know, adopted over the years? Oh, I would definitely say um, for sure my parents like instilled that. Um, I'm one of four and, um, you know, I can remember from a very young age, you know, particularly my mum just saying, just figure out, you know, what it is that you care about and what you love. And she would say that. And then my dad would say, and then figure out how to make money out of that thing. <laughs> um, so that was kind of, I guess I sort of grew up with um, 
the belief that I could do something that was important to me um, and have that be you know, my livelihood. Um, and I also grew up um, seeing my parents run businesses together. So um, yeah, I grew up at a cattle station, but then, um, so my parents ran that business together and then they kind of ran, ran several other businesses um, in the time that I was at home. So yeah, I guess that's sort of what um, showed me that if you want to um, see something happen, you can you can have a go at making it happen yourself, or you can go find somewhere somewhere to work for that is is um, doing doing work in that area that you care about. But yeah, definitely definitely down to my amazing parents. Yeah, cool. And what what, what do they think about the B Corp movement? Is it something that they're starting to think about in terms of their their own businesses, or are you still having those conversations around the? The dinner table. Yeah, well, my mum's a photographer, so she um, every now and then she's like, "Oh, that would be cool. Maybe I could be a B Corp photographer." Um, and I'm like, "Yes, mum, come on, get onto it." Um, so, for whatever reason or another, she hasn't hasn't gotten to that yet. Um, so, yeah, and then my dad um, works in um, agricultural kind of carbon capture industry. So. Um, probably not doing a very good job at explaining it, but yeah, definitely uh, working in a really um, interesting space that's growing growing a lot in Australia. So um, his business, they're not a B Corp, uh, but I know that it is something that they that they have been um, considering. So yeah, yeah and already sequestering aligned. carbon, which is, which is a great start, so. Yes, exactly. Don't worry, I, I have not yet uh, convinced my parents either yet of the futurism journey yeah and, does your mum uh, still digital run that transformation business? well sadly you know sadly after 104 years in business at the you know fairly early stages of the pandemic um yeah they filed for bankruptcy huge blow um but i think it's like and i and i speak you know to my clients about this, it's almost become a bit of a warning flag. And, and and while it's my sort of biggest shame as a futurist that I failed to really convince my parents of the merits of, you know, digitally diversifying and, you know, again, becoming B Corp certified and, and you know, adopting ESG into the cultural ethos of the organization, the fabric of her little menswear store. Um, I think it's a almost like a warning light uh, or a warning flag for other businesses that, you know, pandemics happen, uh, huge digital disruptions happen, and um, if you're not attuned to the future signal, you know, sooner or later, uh, you'll either have to sort of gamble the farm, which is very very risky, uh, or in my mum's case, you know, they just could not trade anymore because they were so analog, so physical, and they just hadn't sadly done the things that we had scenario planned with them uh, and um, kind of a case of culture eating strategy for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe that was that was um, inevitable for them and it probably just sped it up, you know, the pandemic. But I mean, 104 years, that's a pretty good run. That's it's, it, it, it's, a very, it's a very good innings and on, on the upside from a, you know, from a, a social perspective, it's, it's a kind of a positive because you know, no longer do they need to work, you know, seven days a week and in, you know, in their early 70s. And uh, they actually have time now to spend with, with grandkids. And, you know, they have grandkids both in Sweden and here in Australia. And they actually get to, you know, spend time face to face or via FaceTime to FaceTime. 
so th- you know there there's you know there's always a silver lining to to everything and uh, i mean my my mission and as a, as a futurist i want to see businesses transform to become sustainable to become ethical and i don't want anyone else to have to go through that story of you know after 104 years kind of unnecessarily sadly see 104 years worth of history you know stockholm's oldest you know family owned menswear store go the way of the dinosaurs because they just didn't you know innovate and they didn't make these critical decisions about their futures so uh there's a little backstory for you Cool. So if people want to find out a little bit more about how they can avoid that fate and uh, become uh, B Corp certified, where, where can they find out more about Hub, about uh, Whitney Taluk, um, and uh, how do you guys help people get started on, on this journey? Yeah. So, I mean, you can just jump on hubaustralia.com. It's got all the info about our business there. Um, and then, of course, we've got our impact and sustainability page and that's where we talk about um, you know the fact that we are a B Corp and then also um, the service that we offer to um, you know help speed up that process of becoming a B Corp um, so yeah that's how you can find out about us and then also if you want to know more about the B Corp movement um, you can jump on the B Lab Australia New Zealand website uh, and there's lots of information there about the B Impact Assessment, what it kind of, you know, what it covers, what it takes to become a B Corp. Um, so that's a really good place to start. And start ASAP. Are thinking about it, just get onto it because it can take a little while. Um, you know, it is it is a bit of a, you know, a commitment, a time commitment. You need to put some resources into it. Um, it may not cost you that much money, but of course there is the time cost. Um, so yeah. Get onto it sooner rather than later. Fantastic. And I should just say that our business, Think, is uh, is on the journey. And um, we've received some great coaching and feedback through the workshops with uh, Whitney and, and the team, uh, partly through my role as the impact champion at the Entrepreneurs' Organization as well. So I can really recommend these guys tune in and, uh, and make sure that you start on that journey towards becoming B Corp certified. Thank you very much for, for being on the second renaissance and uh, teaching us a little bit about how human creativity can flourish in a technology-driven age. And I think the story about your parents, about you know, your mum saying, hey, figure out your purpose and your, and your passion, first of all, and then your dad coming in and going, hey, and also figure out the profitability or, or how to make money from it sort of beautifully encapsulates uh, that they're, they're very much B Corp at the core. And uh, nice to hear that you grew up in, in, in such an enlightened setting as well. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Anders. It's been awesome to chat with you. On the next episode of The Second Renaissance, we speak with Sarah Wilson, author, minimalist, and philanthropist. Sarah is a New York Times and number one Amazon best-selling author, founder of iQuitSugar.com, and a former editor of Australian Cosmopolitan magazine. She campaigns against consumerist waste, and her latest book is This One Wild and Precious Life, which is my most recent holiday read a book about connecting to what is important and designing a better future and life for ourselves and the planet. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcatcher and I'd be super grateful if you leave a review. 
For more information about the Second Renaissance and our work on sustainable innovation, please visit my website, www.andersumanilson.com. We would appreciate if you can take a moment to share the podcast with a friend or a colleague and help build the movement. We hope that what we learn together on the Second Renaissance can help us all build a sustainable future for ourselves and our children. See you in the near future.